Welcome to the Beauty Edit Podcast from the industry.fashion. In this series, you will be exploring the stories behind some of the beauty industry's most prominent figures, from brand owners to editors, influencers, and retailers. We discuss everything from tech to trends and product to projection. The Beauty Edit Podcast is in proud partnership with Klarna. I'm Anthony Horman, co-founder of the industry.fashion, and on this episode of the Beauty Edit Podcast, I speak to Jules Miller whose brand, The Nuco, was launched back in 2017 with the aim of redefining the relationship we have with our health. We talk about the way The Nuco makes taking supplements feel like a treat and not a chore, and also the levels of actives within them that really start to show results fast. Jules has that rare mix of the creative and business brain and gives us some super interesting insights into physical retail, e-commerce, and her experience with seeking and garnering investment alongside getting really excited about new product development. We talk about how she cold emailed Natalie Massonet, founder of Net-A-Porter, and Harvey Spevak, founder of Equinox Gyms, with copies of her business plan. Did they reply? I'll leave you to listen to the episode for that answer. There's a lot to be excited about for the new co. They've launched a skincare line with the same ethos as their supplements. They've just closed $25 million of funding, and they're about to open some new physical stores. Jules Miller, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you on. I'm currently taking some of your supplements, so Yay. I hope I'm glowing and feeling good. Um, how are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good, really good. We were just talking for our listeners, we were just talking off air and we were saying we're literally about two streets away from each other, but we're doing this remotely. So we should have just met in person, but hey. Um, all right, listen, let's start at the beginning about your early life because you've had really exciting times. You were in Colombia, then to the UK. So tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, my mum is from Colombia and she is your almost stereotypical Colombian woman. So if you've watched Modern Family, she's literally Gloria. She's like, she's just that character. She's incredible. And my dad is like the complete opposite of her. So my dad's um, from England. He's very into design. He's very considered. He loved like the cure. You know, he's just like the complete opposite of who my mum is. So they're like very, like they're a very interesting match. And um, so they met in the UK. Um, My dad obviously went and like visited Colombia and just like absolutely fell in love. So I was born here, but we moved out to Colombia when I was a few months old. Um, My dad had worked in publishing up up until that point, but they decided to buy a coffee farm, even though they knew nothing about farming. They bought an art gallery, and then my dad also DJed at the weekends. Amazing. (laughs) It was like, yeah, it was the most incredible experience of my life, and I absolutely loved growing up in Colombia because... Um, you know, school ended at one and it felt even as like a seven-year-old, it felt like you really had a life, you know, you, you were going out, you know, even if you were playing out in the fields, we lived in the countryside. So it was just like the most amazing childhood. Um, and then, yeah, at the age of eight, I came back to London and um, I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, culture shock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a culture shock for sure. I mean, I always remember like this moment of like coming home from school at like 3.30 and putting on my pajamas and being expected to watch TV and me thinking like, no, this isn't for me. But yeah, I think, you know, having, having those two very different cultures and experiences in my life really um, gave me so much inspiration for what I ended up doing in life because it's this sort of mixture of 
um, what I would call very sort of exotic, um, you know, ex- exotic upbringing. Like when I was sick, my mum would take me to like the herbalist in Colombia right. versus, you know, who my dad was and obviously my grandfather. So. Yeah, let's talk about your grandfather because I'm all right in thinking, he, well, Professor George Miller, he was on the discovery team for vitamin B12. Well, he was part of the research team that said, like, to really understand how vitamin B12 can be absorbed effectively in the body um, through things like supplements. So, so yeah, my grandfather was a really interesting character because he was a doctor, but he would, like, refuse to take really most pharmaceutical drugs. Like, he was the type of doctor that would never go to the doctor, you know, because he really knew and understood how a lot of these products were made. So he would, for example, have to be in a lot of pain to take a paracetamol because he would talk about the amount of sodium in paracetamol and really what that could then do to your liver. So I think in the beginning, I thought he was just a bit of a stubborn old man. Um, And then I think as I got older and I really started to listen to his point of view, I really started to understand where he was coming from. Um, But yeah, he was like really a huge inspiration for what we've done today. Yeah, I can see that. And so obviously, though, at that age, the plan wasn't to, you know, become this amazing entrepreneur within the supplement world. But you, am I right in thinking you got IBS and you just couldn't find anything to deal with it? And so that led you to this. And I'm guessing that sort of stuff with your grandfather really sort of melded together and put you in the place you're in, right? Yeah, exactly. So I um, I was working in the wellness industry here in London. So I was working for a company called The Detox Kitchen, um, and which was an incredible experience. It was just amazing to be working with, yeah, just like female entrepreneurs who made really hard things look really easy. Right. I feel like often when you're in this industry, people do the opposite. But, um, Agreed, yeah, they, sure. But yeah, so I developed IBS and it wasn't so bad in the beginning. And then slowly but surely, um, I was really reacting to foods all the time. And then these flare ups would last days. And then eventually I was having to go in and out of the hospital because I was developing these really horrible symptoms. And so um, my GP here in the UK um, started to prescribe me medication and one of his suggestions was that I go on antidepressants to help with my IBS so there are actually obviously now I understand why there's obviously so such a big connection between gut health and sort of mood but I didn't feel depressed or anything so it was at that stage that I then said to my grandfather oh like you know these my doctors are saying that this is an option for me what do you think and he said well you know you should start taking supplements and I ended up turning to every single supplement I could sort of get my hands on in Holland and Barrett. And um, yeah, he sort of sat down with me and really schooled me on what these products were made of. And that was really my first insight Um, and really an insight into a a potential opportunity for a business. Great. So let's, yeah, let's talk about the business then, because um, it's incredible. First of all, I was first introduced to it. I went into your store in New York and we'll talk a bit about that in a bit. But tell the listeners kind of, you know, a whistle-stop tour around the brand, some of the kind of key products that you use. And then we can talk a little bit about what those first steps looked like in terms of making your business what it is today, I guess. Sure. So I suppose like the, the first insight was from my grandfather. Like I said, he said, look, when you're looking at this label, about 50% of the ingredients that you're looking at are made up from bulking agents and preservatives. And the reason that these supplement brands do this is to drive down the cost of manufacturing and production. 
And obviously it extends the shelf life of a product as well. So you can bulk buy and bring down the cost. And then when we were looking at the active ingredients, he said, well, actually three of these aren't entirely safe if you're consuming them at a certain level. And I think for me, I was couldn't believe that I was actually consuming ingredients that could potentially give me things like liver damage when all I was really trying to do was resolve my bloating. So it was, you know, I think that was another sort of eye-opening experience for me. But moving on from that, it was really about research and really trying to understand the market and trying to understand the opportunity. And some of the things that jumped out at me was the first thing was that there was no real brand leader. This was a huge industry It was one of the fastest growing industries really in the world at the time. And yet the biggest market share was owned by white label brands. I think it was 18% of the market at the time was just white label brands. The same formula, different logos, basically. And um, secondly, there was no brand loyalty and it had a really big retention problem. So the repeat purchase rate was around 35%, 30 to 35%, which I thought was interesting on the basis that if you find a product and it really works for you and say it improves your digestion, it should be something you st- stick loyalty. Uh, but people weren't. So we went away, we did a couple of round tables and really sort of got to the crux as to what, what was broken in the relationship between the consumer and their supplements. And the first thing was that people didn't really know whether they worked. They didn't really know what to look for. And the second thing was that they felt it was a bit of a chore and they didn't really want to engage with the products or would forget to take them and didn't really have any affinity to the brand or like the philosophy behind the brand that they were consuming. Most of the time, to be honest with you, they couldn't even remember the name. They were like, oh, it's the one with the yellow like lid or something. Um, so we did loads of research. And I think that that is something that every founder should do because when you go out to raise funding, um, one of the best bits, believe it or not, is actually getting all the no's because you get the most amount of feedback and insight. And you need to be in a position to have had in, done enough research yourself to be able to take the information and guidance that actually makes sense for your business plan and listen, but also have conviction in what you know. I think that's like the most important thing to do. Um, so yeah, sort of like moving from that, essentially... That's how the NUCO came to be. We wanted to develop a brand that people really felt connected to, um, products that really drove a benefit and that people could see it and feel it in 30 days. And then lastly, it was going to be an experience that people really look forward to sort of engaging with every day in the same way that people like to put skincare on in the morning. Um, And that's really, in a nutshell, what we wanted to achieve and we very much feel like that's what we sort of have done over the last four years. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I have my three, I'm taking, what am I taking? The, the anti-blow, I'm taking yes. the de-stress. The de-stress is very important. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm taking the probiotic, but the jars and everything are so beautiful. And let's be honest, you know, we we all, we're consumers. We want to look at something beautiful when it is in those, you know, I'm not knocking the Holland and Barrett's and stuff, but no. if you sort of just think, like you said, it's a bit of a chore every morning to get your crappy little bottle out and all the rest. I have your jars up on my side, you know, it makes you but like skincare, you know. You, it's exactly like skincare. Exactly. And it's like, right, every morning it's my thing, you know, I go and do it. So you're absolutely right. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I think when, again, in in that sort of research element of the business, when we sort of identified these um, challenges, we looked to an industry that didn't have these problems and beauty was one of them. And that's really why we look and feel like a beauty brand, because 
Um, what we really learned was that most consumers really love the brands that they were loyal to, that they could tell us about the founders, they could tell us about the ingredients. It was a me moment in their day. Um, and, and that is why, you know, I think people sometimes think that we just wanted to create nice packaging because we wanted to create nice packaging. But actually, if you are really obsessive with the experience that you're providing and people enjoy it, they will do it every day. It will create a habit and then the product will work and then they will become loyal. Um, you know, and, and I think that, again, you ha- really have to think about the customer journey in a 360 way in order for you to really drive those results. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to talk to you a bit around tactics that you use to get people to sort of sample and stuff in a bit. But you touched on your business plan. I read something, I think it was in, I can't remember what it was in, but you wrote to Natalie Massonet. And if anyone doesn't know, I mean, She's the founder of Net-A-Porte, but I'm sure everyone knows. And then Harvey Spavak, I hope I'm saying that right. So if you ever listen to this, I hope you realize I've said his name right, who was the founder of Equinox Gyms. And they both replied, first of all, what did you write to them? And two, did you fall off your seat when they replied? And three, what did you ask them and how did it shape the plan? So let me just think. I think at the very, like the very, very big, because I'd never spoken to an investor in my life. And I had no business experience. So I knew that I needed a lot of help and a lot of insight. And I think I was listening to a podcast. This was it. I was listening to a podcast on Forbes called Millions. And it was about um, female entrepreneurs that had raised over a million dollars. And somebody mentioned Harvey's feedback. And they said, you know, he's, he really helped us. He really introduced us to people. And he uh, really fed into our business plan. So I just thought, okay, I'll write his name down. And maybe I'll write down another 10 amazing founders I want to speak to and so Natalie was one of them I also met the founders of like Marlon and Getz like there were so many people that got back to me I mean I even emailed the CEO of Nike he didn't get back to me but (laughs) I'm still holding out for that reply but you know I think again that was another I mean I, I couldn't believe that these types of people would even open my email, let alone actually agree to meet with me and then help me. Um, but they did. And I think in all honesty, I think it was a combination of like right place, right time. I think this was a category that was really in its infancy back in 2000. And this was in 2016. It was before we launched. Um, so there was there was that interest. There wasn't, like I said, there weren't a huge amount of brands doing it. I think that even today, the category is still pretty small. We're talking like 10, 15 major brands that are really sitting in the sort of like health and wellness uh, supplement space. So I think it was a combination of right place, right time, right category. And I just kept my emails, my cold emails, really short and snappy. Like, this is my deck. This is why I'm messaging you. And this is what I need. Um, what did you need? What did you ask? Like, what was the need? It was advice and insight. So yeah. I really just want, I just would go there and I would pitch them the sort of insight, the brand proposition and the rough strategy. And they were able to just give me their feedback. I mean, my initial business plan was wild. I mean, it was like 40 stores in the first three years or something silly because I, you know, I was like ASOP, you know, like retail so important. So you know, I, I think after my first two meetings of pitching that story, I quickly realized it was stupid. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, Harvey, Harvey actually pulled in like two people that he thought could be uh, useful and 
they actually introduced me to an investor. And that was, um, I think that, yeah, that, that was my first sort of VC US investment pre-launch was came from um, an introduction. That wow. That just goes to show, I mean, having the balls to just send those emails out and look what comes back. Does he now get like a, you know, a lifetime supply of supplements? Well, do you know, it's again, it's another, it's a, another interesting thing because you often wonder, like, what is it? What's in it for you? Yeah. And um, I still haven't worked that out, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, so I, many people gave me their time, and yeah. But I think if you, you know, obviously, what you put in that email and what your business plan said hooked in with them, and you know, we've all we're all founders, right? We've got to remember we were they were like us one day. Yeah. They were like sitting in their kitchen or they were sat in some shared office, you know. And I think if you are essentially a good person and someone comes to you, like obviously there'll be people writing to them all day long. But if you cut through, why wouldn't you help? You know, I'm sure you would, I would, you know, that's I guess that's how it works. So good for you. Um so on the back of that, you had your plan, got it all together and everything, and then you had a wait list before you even launched of 2,000 people, which is insane. Um, what did that launch look like then? And what was the sort of awareness that drove those 2,000 people that didn't even know that this thing was really a thing yet? You know, so what did that Yeah. So we, I think one of the things that we've always um, appreciated is the importance of good PR. So we work with a really amazing PR agency called Autumn PR uh, in the US. And they were amazing, really sort of helping drive that hype. Um, so it was really with their help that we really managed to get that sort of like energy in New York. I was actually living in the UK. I knew that I was going to move to the US to launch this business. Um, and I can tell you why sort of in a bit. But um, we were actually living in LA and it was quite slow. And I went out to New York just to do a press trip. And at the end of five days, I called Charlie, my partner, who also works at Nuco, And I was like, just put all of our stuff in a, in a truck and let I just come here. So I didn't even go back to my house to pack it up um, because the response and the energy was so amazing. So um, basically, on the first day of pitching out for press, I think it was Vogue who said, okay, we want the exclusive. I think it was my third meeting of the day. And then as soon as we had Vogue, we like every single publication really was like, okay, well, we'll do it, you know, day two, we'll do it that afternoon. And so it was really like, we had this amazing press launch. Um, and then obviously we then launched exclusively with Natta Porter and yeah, the rest is sort of history. Oh, so they were your first retail partner, like your exclusive retail partner. And then, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think... We owe Netta Porter so much. Um, I didn't have any, I literally didn't have anything um, until I had Netta Porter. I just had this concept and I managed to get a meeting with a buyer and I said to them, look, I know that you guys are thinking um, about wellness and you're starting to embrace the idea of beauty from within, but there aren't a huge amount of brands that are really talking to the Netta Porter and Mr. Porter customer. And that is what we're building. And they said, yep, great. You know, we'll launch you in 10 months. But at the time, we, I didn't have a brand. I didn't have packaging. I didn't have investment. All I had was the five formulas that we'd made with the lab that my grandfather introduced us to. So I literally, we had to go and build the business in like, I think, I think by the time that they actually like confirmed that they were doing it, it was like eight months, eight, seven months. So we had to go and build the business and manufacture our first product run. Right. Um, 
And obviously then again, raising capital, knowing that I had the Netherfall to launch was a lot easier. Yeah. But we owe them a lot for sure. And was it, is it vastly different today than that first run you did? I mean, did you make any mistakes? Like, Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think the first box run said diary instead of dairy. Oh, um but no there hasn't to be honest there haven't been like any huge you know that was like something silly we we ended up actually catching it before it went to run but um largely we've pivoted throughout the years ever so slightly on things that most people wouldn't even really realize but in all honesty if you look at our first business plan um And the, the first idea of what we wanted to achieve around that sort of experience and relationship we wanted to build mm. with the consumer, it's still the same, really. Okay. So cool. So you touched a bit on the sort of moving around and stuff. Tell us about, because again, I'm interested in this, that you sort of went from the UK to America because yeah. that's where the most sort of like opportunity is. Um, first of all, tell us, I mean, I suppose this is the same thing, but why do you think the US is so much more supplement responsive than the UK, for example, and yeah. is it just about scale? Like, what are the differences? Um, it's not just about scale. I think that as a founder, you really need to think about how far can your dollar go. Yeah. And um, I think I've always been very commercially minded, and yeah. I really got that from Lily from the Detox Kitchen because she she did not waste a single dollar, and. From my perspective, I really thought, like, what is a job to be done as a brand? And at the time, around 37% of uh, people in the UK were taking a supplement. And when I was speaking to people, people were still saying, oh, well, do supplements work? Like, they didn't even believe that the body would absorb a nutrient in pill form. So I was like, wow, that's going to take a lot of money to educate <laughs> educate that many people on even the idea of supplements, whereas, like you rightly say, in the US, you know, 80% of consumers are taking now more, but at the time, 80% of consumers were taking it every day. So they really believed in the um, potential um, benefit of taking a supplement every day. So our role here was actually to say, well, this is what you're consuming. These are the ingredients that you're taking right now. And these are ours and this is why they're better. That's a, a much cheaper pitch. Um, so that's why we ended up going to the US. What is the percentage UK versus US of your business? Oh, the US is like 90% of our business. Isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Because here, I mean, like I said, I found you in the US, but I see you everywhere in the UK. So that's it's interesting. Ca- well, I mean, in all honesty, I think that the UK, we only launched in the UK last year. Um, and that's from a dot-com perspective. We had a couple of retailers, but we really launched last year. And it has surpassed any expectation that we ever had, really, for the market. So I think that we, as we sort of start to re- like, well, invest into the UK, we're thinking about opening up our own retail stores here. It's a slightly different strategy to the U.S., um I'm hopeful that I think the EU will probably start to make up maybe more like 40% of our business in the next two years. Amazing. Sure. And I think, I mean, you know, this is a question I was going to ask you towards the end, but I'll ask it now So while we're touching on it. So anything you can tell us about that kind of retail strategy and what do you think the differences will be from the test you did with your shop in New York to what you're doing in the UK? 
So yeah, so so we've always believed in the omni-channel approach. Like we're a D2C first business, around 75% of our revenue comes from our .com and the majority of that comes from subscription. But we've always leveraged wholesale to help build the brand. And what we did initially in the US was we mapped out these sort of different customer profiles and we um, sort of tried to map out where they were going in their day. So like where they were working out, where they were buying their smoothie, where they were getting their facial and where they were going out shopping. And that was really what our retail strategy, well, our sort of wholesale strategy was in the US. Um, so we were in places like we were in like workout studios like Skyting or Forward Space. Um, and then we were working with dermatologists and when we were in places like Credo. So that was sort of like our initial wholesale strategy. And then retail for us was very much a marketing play. So we had three pop-ups in total. We had a four-week pop-up, a one-year pop-up, and then a another sort of two-month pop-up. Um, and the shorter ones were all around product launches. Um, and they were amazing. I mean, we actually turned a profit in our first pop-up on Spring Street, which I never <laughs> thought was going to happen. Um, but it was amazing to see, actually, just people walking past, having never heard the, about the brand, coming in and wanting to learn more and sitting at our trial bar for an hour, talking to, you know, our, our, um, our team about their bathroom habits, you know. And I think that was when we really understood, wow, like, actually, people want to talk about this. People actually, it, it's not like a taboo subject. People really want to share their experiences and they want to learn about this. So we learned, like I said, it was really about learning um, initially. And that was why, you know, we, we invested in pop-ups. I think that now we're looking at them in a slightly different lens, particularly now thinking more about our sort of launch plan into the UK. And I think, you know, D2C is, is getting stronger here in the, US, in the UK, but most people are still buying their supplements in Boots or in Holland and Barrett, you know, and I think that having that sort of like face-to-face consultation experience, it's really important. So, um, yeah, our plan is to roll out, I think it's eight stores in the next, I want to say 18 months. Amazing. 24 months, really. Where are they um, sort of going to be? Are you doing like nationwide or are they all London? Um, they're not all in the UK. So we're going to have a couple in the UK. We're doing New York. We're doing LA. Um, and we're doing maybe Texas, Miami. Now it's time to hear a bit more about our wonderful partners, Klarna. Klarna lets customers pay up to 30 days later or in three installments at thousands of online stores, including Charlotte Tilbury, ASOS, Cult Beauty, plus many more. Find out more at Klarna.com. This is so great because I remember, like I said to you, I, I came across you guys, I think it was... Christmas 2019. Does that sound about yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And your store, what I loved about it was I'm a real, I'm a real thing about customer service, right? And, you know, the, my pet peeve is when you go into a store and someone doesn't know the info or they just don't even acknowledge you or whatever. And I went into that store and it was great from the get-go. Like the guy was super cool. He, you know, he knew oh, what Travis. Was, like pitch. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> and like, I, my friend and I sat in there for ages and he was like, try this, try the scent, try this, try that, whatever. And it was just a whole, you know, 
360 thing, you know, and I remember leaving it thinking, oh my God, I need to look that brand up, you know, so it's so important. So hopefully you do that here as well, you know, get the right people and everything, because I think it's great. But I think that that, again, goes back to sort of what we really wanted to change about the supplement industry. I mean, when was the last time that anybody said like, oh, I walked into a supplement store and I sat there with my friend and I learned so much and it was so much fun. You know, I think that I, and that is honestly what, what we're the most proud of. It's really changing um, changing the way that people feel about supplements um, and our strategy and how we communicate with our customers is, is really at the heart of that. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about the products as well. So you've got, I mean, I want to do skincare separately because I'm a yes. skincare junkie and I'm obsessed <laughs> with the fact that you're moving into skin. But let's talk about, just give us a bit of an insight into mm. different things that you can do with your supplements. So we, again, we wanted to sort of redefine the way that people thought about supplements. I think most people still think about supplements in the form of like a capsule. Um, But actually, we wanted to make supplements that really worked. And in order to sort of drive those efficiencies, you have to focus on two things. You have to focus on ingredients, uh, but not just ingredients. It's how they're extracted and how you can actually ensure certain levels of potency. um, And then also how those ingredients are absorbed. So we have three different types of supplements. We have ingestible supplements, and they usually come in the form of a time delay capsule. So it's basically a capsule that doesn't break down in your stomach because all of your stomach acid basically attacks all of the ingredients. It's a capsule that actually um, degrades in your gut, in your small intestine. Um, We also have under-the-tongue sprays and tinctures because it's a really fast way for these ingredients to get into your bloodstream, depending on the ingredients. Um, We then also have topical supplements. So we have things like our magnesium spray. Uh, Magnesium is four times more absorbable through the skin than it is if you take it in a capsule. People are always shocked by that, but then I'm like, that's what Epsom salts are. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, I'm like... You have to sit with like, I mean, isn't it like a bucket full? You have to clean yeah, it you do. Yeah. And also, I mean, like obviously nobody in America takes a bath. So yeah. usually if I'm going to explain it really quickly to somebody in a store, I'll say it's like a bath in a bottle. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we have our topical supplements, so like our magnesium spray or our skincare. And I can talk to that in a minute, but we very much see them as topical supplements. And then we have our fragrances, which again, we see them as fragrance supplements and they're absorbed through the olfactory system. So um, I think it's a, it's a unique way for a brand to really launch into so many different categories without really confusing the consumer. Because what we're about really is we're about helping improve your health. And that might be the health of your sleep or your skin uh, or your gut health. And so we really need to think about the best delivery to deliver that benefit. So if you're talking about skin, of course, it starts with you know what you're putting on the inside but it doesn't end there it also has to include what you're putting on the on the outside um and, and that is why we've got our sort of ingestibles and topicals yeah all right great well you just segued for me let's do the exciting one so let's talk about the skincare so was it always a couple of questions was it always the plan did you kind of think when you started out and then we're gonna do you know skin um and to tell me about the range and your formulations and all that kind of stuff Um, It was always the plan. Obviously, all of our investors thought I was nuts because our first collection was all about bloating and constipation. (laughs) That's another thing you have to know about me is that it usually always starts with products I need. And then then I look into the market and I go, okay, there's an opportunity. But um, 
yeah, I mean, they were like, you know, you're known for products that are helping people's bowels, and now you're launching a fine fragrance with Shuffle Dan. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> um, it was absolutely the best decision that we've ever, we've really ever made. Um, and, you know, I think that for a supplement brand to have, to be selling things like fragrance online um, without people being able to smell the fragrance, I mean, we're acquiring customers' fragrance is, is almost our number one at the moment. I think really? it's insane. I, I mean, we sold out of Forest Lunch. So we, we launched a product called Forest Lunch last November. Yeah. And we sold out of three months worth in pre-launch stage. So it hadn't even launched yet. So that was how much we didn't really understand like the opportunity really, because we obviously completely miscalculated our forecast. Um, but fragrance is, is, is huge for us. Um, and then when it comes to... How are you selling it online though? Because I, I mean, of course people sell it online. What I mean by that is... I'm obsessed with selling fragrance and beauty online. You know, it was my background, but yes. fragrance was always difficult because someone yes. would, you know, whatever you describe it as is you can read it one way and I'll read it another. So what are you doing then to make that your top seller kind of thing? So, so this is, this is what I mean about these products that it's not a fragrance for us, right? It's a supplement. So you're talking about the benefit. So when it comes to forest lungs, there's a couple of things that sort of came into play. Forest Lungs is an anti-stress supplement in the form of a fragrance. Um, now, if you know anything about fragrance, you'll know that there's heaps of science and research that actually connects fragrance and feeling. Um, a lot of what we do is we're working with research that actually maps out the brain using MRI scans, or we can actually prove the effects that these fragrances actually have on our brains and our moods. Um, but another thing that we did with Forest Lungs is we really wanted to connect with the narrative of having to be sort of indoors and we really wanted to find a way of helping sort of bring the outside in so we uh worked with Cheval Dan to develop a formula that contains something called phytoncides um phytoncides is a chemical compound that trees basically give out that have been proven to help people with anxiety and stress um and again there's those are studies that sort of prove this it, it's really sort of the basis of things like forest bathing and so people are buying the fragrance online because of the health benefits. Of course, we have like the scent notes and the imagery that we're using really conveys like what the fragrance smells like. Um, but when you actually read the reviews, you will hear things like, you know, I have panic attacks. I've been using the fragrance. It really helps ground me. So it's more about talking about fragrance and talking about skincare in the context of our health. And the way to answer your question, sorry, I know that we've segue, but the way that we're talking about skin health is really about skin immunity. And it's really talking about our skin barrier. Mm. And mm. sort of that, that was really sort of like the biggest insight that we got was that we are all so, you know, obsessed with beauty for all the reasons that we know, you know, it really is a form of self-care and we're, we just love newness. And, you know, I'm, I was very much one of these people. And the combination of sort of overloading our skin with too many products and stress and pollution is degrading our skin barrier. And that is really the root cause of so many issues that I think that people deal with using all of these multiple different products. Of course, it then creates a really complicated routine 
And then we're sending a lot of packaging, over 100 billion units of packaging is being sent to landfill every year by the beauty industry. Um, so that was really the insight around um, our sort of skincare range. Um, so today we've got three products. We've got a cleanser, a serum, and a moisturizer. Uh, they all work in slightly different ways, which I can tell you about if you're interested. That's very um, much so. But it's all about skin immunity. It's all about strengthening your skin. And that doesn't sound sexy. But once you do that, you're going to have a reduction in breakouts. You're going to have more glowing skin, more hydrated skin, less wrinkles, as long as you're investing in the health of your skin. Yeah. So in your, what are you using then, like peptides and stuff? Like, is that, you know, what's the... What's the, what's the source? Yeah, yeah. So um, we, like I said, like a lot of our history is rooted in microbiome and gut health. Um, and the labs that we work with are some of the sort of world leaders in sort of microbiome research. So we looked at the skin and sort of the connection between skin health and our topical microbiome. And I think one of the things that people don't really understand is that we've got almost the same amount of bacteria in our gut. I think it's like 25%, 26% lives in our gut of our microbiome and 21% lives on our skin. So I think people don't understand actually the connection between sort of our gut health and our skin health. Um, so what our cleanser and our moisturizer do, they're called barrier culture. They contain pre, pro and postbiotics. So it's a patented technology. It was first to market and it's actually been clinically proven to essentially help rebuild the skin barrier um, and some of the clinical trials that were done with the formula were amazing I think there was like a eight percent reduction in the amount of pollution that was being actually penetrated through the skin after three days of use um, so really amazing but that's more of like the more supplement approach because like I said I think a strong skin barrier is really the root of great skin health but on like the basic function, the cleanser is a really amazing cleanser for anybody with sensitive skin, anybody struggling with redness. It's going to work hard. It's going to remove all of the sort of um, dirt from the day or makeup, but it's going to leave your skin really hydrated and dewy. Um, so it's a really great product. And then the moisturizer is super light. So if you like more of a heavy, you're probably going to have to follow it up with something else. Um, I, I personally don't. So it's a very light moisturizer. Um, it's almost like a gel to cream consistency. Mm -hmm. um, and it does have other ingredients alongside the sort of probiotics that are just going to help with that sort of skin immunity. Yeah. So things like squalane that are just yeah. sort of ceramides and things like that, that are again, just rebuilding that um, lipid barrier. I need to take a break so that I can get online and order this stuff. You're the best. No, we'll send it to you. <laughs> no, don't I'll, I'll, no, 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 no. We'll send it to you. But I love sending stuff like this to beauty junkies because I don't think you know, there's been so many beauty launches. Not everybody needs to launch into skincare. This is what my big thing is. And skincare was a thing that all of our customers wanted from us. Every single year we do a round table with our VIP customers and they always wanted skincare. And I was always like, no, like there are so many supplements we can make, please. Um, but it was actually just landing on these insights, landing on the technology and thinking, actually, these products are really great. But uh, listen, I've done it and it's, you know, I know, I don't know, a, you know, a ton about skincare, but with my old job, I know enough about formulations. And there are still days when I'm, you know, oh, yeah, I'll do that cleanser with a bit of salicylic. Oh, God, then I'll do the AHA, then I'll do this, then I'll do that. And then... 
I come to like look in the mirror and I'm just like, oh my God, I've literally like burnt a layer of my skin. You know, and, and, and I know about this stuff. So God help people that don't know anything about it and think you've got to, you know, scrub and like tone and all these things. Like, so I absolutely get what you're saying. And those three products sound incredible. So congrats. I cannot wait to look at those. Um, so you just, I mean, you just scored 24 scored, however you want to describe it. You worked really hard to get it. I shouldn't say it just landed in your lap, but you just got $25 million worth of investment. Congratulations, seriously. And, you know, that's obviously enabled you to be able to do the skincare and all the rest of it and launch all your stores. But was that funding experience what you thought it was going to be? I know you did some previously, didn't you, at the beginning, but talk a bit about that journey and was it everything you thought it was going to be and what did you learn from it so we didn't actually intend to raise our series b yet we were actually just doing a small bridge round i mean it was like mid-covid um we were being very conservative anyway just with like our marketing spend and we just didn't really know how the world was going to change so we thought we'll just do a little bridge round now um and then we'll see how it goes and we were just doing it with existing investors. We were sort of turning down meetings with anyone new, uh, which sounds like turning down meetings, but it's not that. It's just, it gets to a point, to be honest with you, where you really have to make the decision as to like what your role is in the business, whether you're going to be working or whether you're going to be spending all your time having meetings with potential investors. And for me, I really just want to spend all of my time developing products and you know working with the team. So, we were not taking any new meetings and then we got a LinkedIn message from somebody and I think I just ignored it like for a few weeks and then um, we finally got on a call and it was um, it was a family office so if you know anything about investment you'll know that family offices they don't have these big flashy websites like they work in completely different ways to VC so often when you're speaking to um to to these types of funds you don't really understand how big the opportunity is and um so we sort of like we, we really liked the person we were speaking to we gave them the pitch we said you know we're doing a very very small bridge round so on the basis that we really like you guys um and then we said well you know maybe you can come in for a small part of the round so that we can sort of de- start developing a relationship and then um we had a face-to-face meeting with the founder so John is the founder of Pomoja Capital. He is an entrepreneur himself. I don't think I've ever met anybody with so much energy. He had more energy than me, which was really saying that something. That can't be true. <laughs> but I just loved speaking to an investor who had like that same passion as a founder and really understood um, some of the challenges that we were going through, but then was also so excited about the vision and so excited about the values that we've always felt were so important to us as a business, but that potentially investors just go, well, it's really great that you think that because everybody sort of has to be thinking about sustainability and giving back, but, you know, really the big thing is growth. And um, John, basically all of the funding um, that he puts into the NUCO, any profits, Uh, go back to his foundation and then all of that then goes into research into climate change he's actually the founder of I know so it it was like I think the story for us was just incredible to know that we could have investors um, that really wanted to invest in the things that were valuable to us 
um, but also that actually the profits were going back into a cause that we really believed in. Um, so, yeah, I think like three weeks later, he said, you know what, let's do a Series B. We'll do the whole round. Um, and, and then that was it. So, uh, you know, I don't even know what to say about it, to be honest with you. I didn't really believe it was happening until, you know, we got the term sheet. I think just from a structure perspective and just like what an investment like that actually looks like, it was a really long and hard due diligence process. I think they had like 40 people on their team and we had three. So it felt almost like a buyout. And I think that, you know, the nature of what we do is going to include things like really understanding our auditing processes and the labs we work with. So it's heavy, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we just couldn't be happier. Yeah. We, we really couldn't be. But I guess when you, you know, it's like our investors, they're very aligned, you know, they, they come from the publishing world, you know, they're very much in line with what we want to do. And I think it's the same for you. It's like, if you've got someone that shares your values, it's not, you know, you're already sort of halfway there because you're not having to sit around a table and kind of like convince people into things. It's like, well, no, they already get it. And that's why you're gelling together. Do you know what I mean? So that's yeah. exciting for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I think what, so the way I've always approached funding is um, it's been about growing my team. So the first round of funding, um, like I said, I, I knew literally no one. And we just did a sort of angel round and I created almost like an incubator around myself. So I got funding from the MD of our lab because I knew nothing about manufacturing. We didn't have a lot of money. So I wanted to negotiate payment terms. I got funding from the founder of the PR agency I wanted to work with. I got funding from Sean Sutherland. She just sold Mio. So she just sold Mio to the Hut Group. So I li- it was literally like, I can't really afford a huge team. I need people around me that can help me. And um, I think that what I've learned throughout the years is the alignment is so important because, like you say, you don't want to really be wasting time um, on things that you're sure on. What you really need is to be spending all your time speaking to your investors about your problems and the things that you're not sure of. And I think having people around you that you that really trust you and that you know you can pick up the phone to and say I really don't know what to do here what do you think I should do and they can give you all the advice and support you but at the end of the day actually back whatever you decide to do off the back of that conversation um so yeah so we've definitely learned a lot but we've been so lucky I mean Unilever Ventures are like my favorite people yeah, as well. Yeah. So. No, no, no. We, I've spoken to a lot of brands that are part of that. Um, what does the business look like today then? How many of you are there? What's the sort of, you know, how many in marketing, how many in PR? How does it work? There's like 45 of us yeah. um, at the moment. And um, it's probably evenly split really between marketing, wholesale and ops at the moment. There's obviously we've got like smaller teams like CX and um, our tech team, but Really, it's sort of like largely made up into those three groups. Um, operations, you know, I think in the post-pandemic world, it's just like crazy. Lead times are crazy. Um, so it's definitely becoming more of a challenge. We obviously also have like 26 SKUs. We're launching new products and we're also launching into a major retailer in the US. Oh, soon. you can't. So, no, I can't <laughs> say yet, but we're super excited about that. Um, And then also obviously launching into new markets. So um, right now we're just in the UK and the US and the Middle East. 
Um, next year, we'll be launching into Canada, Australia, and then Asia. So, yeah, a lot going on. So major, honestly, this is so exciting. Um, you talked a bit about the pandemic and the sort of like issues with it and stuff that, you know, supply chain and everything. But did you, we spoke to a lot of beauty brands and wellness brands in that period. And, you know, it's been well publicized that there was a huge lift for people. They all wanted to feel a bit better about themselves and, you know, their homes to smell lovely and stuff. Did you see a big uplift with your supplements and stuff? Because I presume people were all looking to sort of the wellness space. Yeah, I mean, our immunity supplements jumped up 400% in a month. Yeah. It was crazy. And I think with that, you know, comes obviously just the challenges. But we were so thankful that really we were in a category that was, um, I don't want to say useful, right? Yeah, I think people's awareness of health um, is obviously the greatest it ever has been. And I think also people's understanding of supplements like in the UK, the fact that the, the government and the NHS actually went out and sort of um, gave out, I think it was 2 million doses of vitamin D for the most vulnerable. You know, I think people are really starting to understand, actually, that these supplements really have a place in our everyday lives. So we saw a huge surge in sales. But I think the thing that was the most interesting for us was we've got a strong repeat purchase rate. So it's 70 percent, but it jumped up to 80 percent during the pandemic. And it was because it was a time of you know, our customers were really looking for products that, of course, made them feel better, but brands they could trust because, again, there was that awareness of safety and ingredients. Um, so, yeah, so we've been very fortunate in that respect. Great. How do you, you said there about your your um, repeat purchase rate and stuff. Um, how do you sample? Like, I mean, because sampling obviously is huge in beauty and wellness and everything else, but you need time to sort of like for the supplements so it's not like you could be like, oh here's a free jar because you've got a business in a week but how do you do that and how do you approach the sort of getting people hooked in well it's funny you say the word hook so um the way that we sort of map out our npd strategies that we have our hook products and we have our foundation products so the hook products are products that deliver almost like an instant um an instant benefit of some sort so whether it's a fragrance for example or it's skincare we do have some supplements like deep bloat you can just take it for a few days and you'll see the benefits um and we do sampling through them and then we have our foundation products that you really have to take for a minimum of like 30 to 60 days and then more of sort of our sort of subscription-led products so things like our probiotics for example or skin filter which is sort of our take on a natural ingestible retinol it's one of our best sellers um so so yeah so in terms of like our best sellers we've got our fragrance forest lungs and then our premium probiotic and then our skin filter so it's completely different categories um but yeah it's it's about that hook and then sort of we hook them through the sampling and then most people then go on to sort of subscribe to one of our yeah. foundation products and that the whole subscription thing i mean obviously it's huge for you and working great um I mean, that's a sort of marketing tool in itself, right? So any businesses kind of listening, should yeah. you look at that? Recurring revenues is the most important thing, to be honest. Like repeat purchase rate, recurring revenues. Like it's so expensive to acquire a customer online today that you really need to make sure that once you acquire them, that their lifetime value really enables you to build a profitable marketing strategy. Um, so whatever product you're thinking about launching, just really be mindful of how it could potentially fit into a subscription model or how it could potentially really drive up a high repeat uh, purchase rate. 
we need to do like a masterclass with you. I'm not no. <laughs> we need to have all these things. It's like, I'm trying to imagine what your day's like, because you're, I mean, you're, I mean, you come up very creative and you said you love dealing with all the products and stuff, but then, you know, all the stats and you kind of like know how all the marketing works. So like, what's your day look like? What do you spend, you know, how much time of the week is on the product development? How much is on the, you know, the sort of spreadsheets and stuff? Yeah. I'd say maybe 50-50 because I think that the product and the creative, the foundation of that and the brief is basically the data and the insights. And I think you have to have that ability really to run a successful brand today, unless you're an influencer and you have like an amazing community behind you, which unfortunately I do not. Uh, I'm horrific on social media. Um, So... I'm yeah, gonna follow I, you. I'm gonna follow you straight oh, on. So, that's true. Like my takeovers, don't even talk to me. Like whenever I have to do a takeover of one of like our uh, retail partners um, Instagram, it's awful. I sound like a robot. It's not. <laughs> it is. It's funny though, isn't it? Because I like to think that I'm you know, people laugh because I like to be like, oh yeah, I'm the creative one, all the rest of it. And then I'm such a geek. Like I do all of our like Google Analytics and everything. You know, I'm a real geek because I just feel like you have to be able to form your decisions on something. And yes, there's a lot of gut feel and just knowing, but you want to sort of say, well, listen, that's because X amount of people are doing this and I've got the proof of it. So you've got to have both sides, right? Well, gut feel comes from somewhere. And I like yeah. to say it comes from the data. Like I have no prerogative in launching a product that is going to cost us a lot of money and it's not going to drive any sales, you know, just because I want to do it. So you, it has to come from somewhere. And so you, it, you really do need to be leveraging. And I'm, I think I'm definitely more of a creative person, um, but I've hired a lot of people in my team. And Charlie, who's my partner, is, is very analytical. So I'm ver- working very closely with them. But um, yeah, probably the majority of my time is really spent on sales and uh, marketing. Awesome. Well, look, I mean, I could sit and talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I know you're a busy woman. So Listen, tell us what's, I mean, what's next? You, you've, t- you've told us loads about the stores and going into this big retail partner and stuff, but is there a new product line going to go into body? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, always, I always tell people too much. My team are like, yeah. shut up. Um, okay, so we've got, we've got another really exciting launch, which I think will be our biggest launch for a while, coming up next January. Yeah. Um, and it's for hair. Oh, well, I'm, I'm locked out. Yeah, so you're out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so that's really exciting. I think in all honesty, like the, the strategy is underway. I think the things that we're really excited about are um, really our sustainability efforts. It's something that we've always been very mindful of. 95% of our packaging is infinitely recyclable. And we're now starting to roll out things like refills. Um, so more like carbon offsetting. So it's a, a much bigger project. And we're working with our investors uh, in, in really sort of just continuing to build up that journey because you often like land on a solution that you think is the is the best for the environment. And then you learn six months later that it, you know, the shipping is taking up a lot more energy and whatever. So it's always a journey and, it, you know, you constantly have to be learning. So I think that's what we're really excited about. I think secondary to that, it's how we're sourcing our ingredients. So we've always talked about sourcing sustainably and ethically, but now we're sourcing a lot of our ingredients through community projects. And that essentially means that the cost of the ingredient is inclusive of donations into these communities 
that are often going into things like healthcare and education. So those are the things that really like our team get excited about. And then, um, you know, just like improving people's health every day, like just reading the reviews on the website. That's what we love at the NUCO. And that's sort of, yeah, what we'll continue to work towards. Well, listen, I, like I just said, I could talk to you all day. It's been such a great conversation. The passion for your brand is incredible. So thanks for your time and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You can access our podcasts, including our In Conversation series for fashion at the industry.fashion homepage or via Spotify, Apple and Amazon Music or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode.